at that moment of weakness. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your word, and we're grateful for the hearts here uh, sitting before it. We'd ask that you would um, keep us sound in it. In your son's name, amen. Okay, I'm, I'm leaning into the microphone for my father's sake, so if it sounds like I'm unusually stirring, it is for that reason. Or you're convicted. We're in Hebrews chapter 10, and I was told not too many months ago that there are certain topics I lean into way too frequently. One of them is the New Covenant. I asked myself, I, I did not reprimand the person. They told me that maybe you ought to think about talking about something else. I said, okay. But then you look at the New Covenant and you can't imagine anything else to be talking about, really. It's hard enough to reach the bottom of what that effect is. And the writer of Hebrews, the source of much of our understanding of the superiority of the New Covenant over the Old, goes to some lengths to position you in regard to it. We're not so much talking today about what it is. I mean, I'm sure it's about to come up. But we're talking about what its position in your life is. We don't just admit to the New Covenant and say, yeah, there's a new covenant in the blood of Christ. And then let's go obey the law. Let's be um, um, they gotta round them up. Whatever there. The uh, um, the casualness with which we view it. So I'm gonna approach it a different way. There's a certain portion of this text midway through. That's what I'm wanting to look at primarily because it's something I've been learning uh, recently of the power of the new covenant to fix us in our lives. Because so many, if, you, if you're in any kind of Christian work, you are uh, asked to fix things. What do I do about this? What do I do about that? What do I do about the struggle with so-and-so? What do I, how do I be a little holier than I was intentionally being. And one of the reasons we're big on the New Covenant is not merely to resist the old, not merely to stop the legalists. It is not only something about which we exercise a lot of hyperbole. It is great. It is the answer. And sometimes, I was in a conversation recently, sometimes instead of the very specific problem that you might have an answer and an understanding for, the new covenant is the greater answer. It is the answer that would really fix the person if they just walked up to it the right way. Let's start with looking at verse 4 of chapter 10. We're midway through the writer's argument. For it is impossible the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body hast thou, but a body hast thou prepared for me. 
In burnt offerings and sin offerings thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Lo, I have come to do thy will, O God, as it is written to thee in the roll of the book. When he said above, Thou hast neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Lo, I have come to do thy will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Then to, then to await until his enemy should be made a stool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. After, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make for them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their misdeeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It's a long portion. But it outlines what we're dealing with with the new covenant. The old covenant could never take away sins. There was no forgiveness in them. They were established and they were done according to the law, and yet they didn't do anything if there had been any benefit to it, who would have no need for Christ to die. God had taken no pleasure in them, but he had offered himself. It was an image, it was a prophecy, it was a foreshadowing of what Christ would do. Now the reason we say, well, what's that have to do with us? We're all Gentiles living in 2018. We haven't been out there slaughtering goats on Wick's field frequently. There are ways we do it, there are ways we view it, but whatever the case, he wants you to know, he wants you to know that this great sacrifice, this single offering, it has written the law of God on your hearts and it forgave you of your sins. Now, that's just a salvation message, that's just the gospel. You could stop saying, just as I am, People could come forward, they could believe in the Christ and so be saved. But what I was looking at, in un you understanding as Christians, because so often, as you know, as we've looked at Galatians various times, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Having begun with the flesh, I mean, run with the Spirit, are you so foolish as to end with the flesh? The law, the old covenant, keeps calling us back. That's the point of Hebrews. The whole book is about the superiority of the new over the old and the danger, like in Galatians, of calling the Christians back to the law. We don't think it's such a big loss because, oh, we, okay, it's just our way of pursuing holiness. God says, no, 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 you don't understand the new covenant. 
This has ratcheted the thing up far above anything you are de dealing with, and the old covenant could not do what the new covenant can do. Now, I want you to look at this next paragraph, verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, he just outlined huge aspect of the new covenant. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, okay, the priests had to offer sacrifices for their own sins and for the sins of the other priests and the people, and once a year the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. You have been given confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Christ. By the new and living way, okay, he's referring to this new covenant, this new and living way, which he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. There was a curtain in the actual temple that hung. You remember the story at the, at the um, death of Christ, it was ripped in two. Well, he's saying that curtain itself is the body of Christ, torn in two for you to walk in to the sanctuary. You have confidence for a way opened for us, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, you notice what he's dangling in front of you? He's dangling the superiority, not of a hyperbole where we talk about Jesus and someone died for you. It doesn't that make you feel good. We're talking about the meaning of history. All of that fake religion was pointing to the real religion, and he is the thing. He is the current curtain. His death, his sacrifice, the temple in the heavens. He is our priest. Since you have those things, that's what your faith has been expressed in, right? You weren't too casual. You ever click one of those long boxes on some program? Do you agree to the conditions of Facebook? Oh, sure, click. Didn't read any of it? No. Sold your third child into white slavery in Libya and you didn't know. Have you thought about the covenant you signed with God? What does it have, what does it, what does it do? What is it, what are the promises? What are the arrangements you have made with your God? A covenant is just religious talk for a contract. You signed one, you agreed to the terms. What I want you to know is that the terms acknowledged change who you are. You could have felt really emotional at some Wednesday night revival meeting and went forward and believed and were so saved and never looked back because the church you went to decided the Ten Commandments were the easiest path to holiness rather than the new covenant in Christ. We have confidence because there's a way open to us into the sacred place with a high priest, Jesus Christ. And since those are the cases, since that's the case, you have that confidence. Look at verse 22. I have it in red to help out. Let us, verse 23, let us, verse 24, let us. Because we have this confidence, what does it do to you? It gives you the option 
of having a life that is different than perhaps you currently have. Some of you have spoken to your friends or sought counsel from various people about getting over some issue, dealing with some problem. Since we have this confidence, since we have a way open to us, since we have this high praise, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. We have been given this access. The let us is, is, is not saying you will. It's let us decide this way. Since it is evident that this would be your decision if you knew the confidence of the way open to you and the priesthood of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the first, someone says, let us go on. Let us go in here. Why wouldn't you let us draw near? When someone, you say, well, let us draw near to God. Oh. You know what's great about the Old Covenant? You can really, you can arrange it. You can set it up as a schedule. You can know whether or not you check the boxes off about what you had to do. And you could measure how forgiven you felt with a slaughtered goat. You want, you want, to, you want to keep it that way, because that's a nice arrangement. That contract with God, which tragically didn't ever took away sins, because the blood of bulls and goats, it's impossible for them to take away sins. So you would live it in a dream world. But you'd rather live in that dream world rather than seeing with confidence the open way to you into the holy place with Jesus Christ as your priest. So when somebody says, let us draw near, this, there's a, it's an easy choice you make. Easier when your heart has been sprinkled clean. It's easier for someone who has a full assurance of faith it's easier when people have acknowledged what the covenant is. Because this is not... We're going to get to a passage of warnings a little bit later in the passage, which really confuse people theologically, and I'm not going to give any answers theologically, but, but uh, so much hangs on while you view the greatness of the covenant of God in Christ. Your life will be changed into the goodness Christ expects. Look what it does. We draw near personal salvation, full assurance of faith, heart sprinkled clean, washed with pure water. You're, you're stepping toward God, draw near. Your heart was true. This was integrity. This was not you telling your mom you were interested in Jesus or believed. No, you told Jesus you were interested and believed. You have integrity, a true heart, full assurance of faith. You were not going, I don't quite know if it really happened. Nobody who doesn't quite know if Jesus Christ is real has what is called faith. <laughs> full assurance of faith? You've got to have full assurance of faith. You have to have a true heart. You have to draw near. This is all you, your salvation, you in the new covenant. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 
for he who promised is faithful. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast because we have a God. In, if, once I start looking at the covenant, that superiority of the new, not just, you might say, new and easier. It's not new and improved. It's not new and less demanding. We kind of look at, we kind of look at the old covenant. That was the demanding one. And now it's all grace. It's all love. It is all natural, but this is bigger, higher, real. Let us hold fast because he is faithful. We've got an obligation to be faithful. We're holding fast to the nature of your faith. You're needing to draw near. I'm going to, I'm going to turn to God because of his covenant. I'm going to draw near to him, shedding myself of my sins, approaching him with real faith, and I'm not going to waver from it. It's going to be held fast. Because he is faithful. That's why I hold on to him. Because he is good. And his goodness is far more remarkably demonstrated in the new covenant. Then he says, verse 24, and let us consider. I want you to look at this passage. When I was reading it this morning, um, had a number of different counseling situations in my mind about people I had recommended that, that you know, it wasn't a matter of child rearing they needed help on. They needed to know the Lord better. They needed to know Jesus Christ this way. Where you've approached the covenant of God, the holy place of God, with your true heart, your full assurance of faith, your desire to draw near, you're holding fast to the hope. Because that's what trickles down into let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. You don't need to have a program. As you know, at this church, there are no programs. We can barely get the kids to go upstairs at the right moment. Um... What's nice about this church is for what year is this? 2018, we started kind of 2000s. No, when did we start? 2000? 18, no, it's been 20 some years, huh? 90, oh, 28 years <laughs> with no church government. We're talented. Now, it's not that we're talented, we make a mess of things and things aren't as organized as some of you A-types might like. But we'd much rather have people know the Lord and love each other. That our Christian life can so easily be replaced with some of your version or your church's version of the Old Covenant. Ritual behavior. Good behavior as it is outlined to you. We stir one up because we've drawn near, because we've held fast. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. The one verse about church attendance. There it is. As a result of this trickled out of the new covenant into your life, don't neglect. Don't neglect. I what's your name? Isa does not have the new covenant. Um, 
the one verse on the new, on, on church attendance, don't neglect. Let us, having looked on this thing, do these things. It is natural that you would do them. Let us draw near, let us consider, let us hold fast. Love and good works. You want to see people doing good things. You want to be together with those people doing good things. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, I don't know what your eschatology is. It's probably definitely not mine. And I don't actually care, because we all have a kind of an eschatology. You will be dead ere long. Okay? And if uh, my view of the end of the world is true, I'll still be dead ere long. And all, you might say, the day drawing near, your day is drawing near. All the more, all the more, you want to encourage one another as you see the terminus of your life. We've got things to do, but we've got things to do, not because the church has planned for things for you to do. That's just, the church is just a reaction to you being in the new covenant. If there's anything that's a view here, you don't have a statement of faith that you sign. There's not a membership you can join. Um, you just need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are members of the other people here who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And for each one of us, because His grace is trickling down through us, we are more likely to be caring about holiness, caring about the good that God wants of us, encouraging one another, and knowing. You know, it says that you've heard that passage, and the Mormons have it up on us on this. They say, you get married here, you get to be married forever. And you look at your wife and you go, well. We're not Mormons, though. Jesus says, you don't. You're done when you're dead. Have a wonderful life with the wife whom you love, all the vain days of your life. This is just a specificity of the terminus situation. You won't have it after that. The greatness that is Christian marriage, you won't have. And all of things in Christ, you are encouraged that as the day draws near of the end of your world, do this all the more. But you do this not because the head of encouragement, the, the, the encouragement pastor of All Souls Christian, has given you a call and asked you to sit on the committee to get the encouragement principles printed up for the congregants. No, not happening. You look at what you have in Christ. You've, you've seen something that has stepped in and undone all religious tendencies of man. It, it undid the only right religion in antiquity. And Jesus Christ walked in and fulfilled everything that it was. And said, and we're scrubbing that and we're doing it differently. So why wouldn't we encourage one another? And knowing that this relationship, you know, you're probably not going to live in the same neighborhood as I am in glory. So we might not see each other. Kenny? Oh, I'm coming. Yes. There's some standards, man. The golf club up there. Well, you know how golf clubs are. 
Well, it, it's something that makes for something that you need and consequently not attending to the new covenant or thinking at all about it, yea, verily, even blaming the pastor for teaching too much on it. You can't think enough about it. It is the greatest thing in history, what God has done for man in Jesus Christ. Everything you need, forgiveness, encouragement, love, all sits in that. Now, you say, well, all right, okay. That's, that's something that we, uh, we'll consider. We'll talk about it over lunch. Thank you, Pastor. And, uh, not that, not that. Because it, next verse. For if we sin deliberately after, in red, Receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. One of those verses you hope that nobody brings up in the Bible, question time. I don't know, has anybody here sinned deliberately after they got saved? Just, ah, I see that hand. Oh, we're in trouble. Because this is not just the new covenant laid out for you as a sales pitch. Like if only you choose to believe in it, you would have picked the best car on the market. It is the only car on the market. It is the only car. And... It's not merely you talking to a salesman. I've got a lot of fond memories of the old covenant. Yeah, I, I think we're going to post the Ten Commandments out in front of our church. Yeah. After what Paul said, you're going to do that. After what the writer of Hebrews says, the whole thing in this book has been don't go back to the slavery. Now it may be that kind of sin in specific he is talking about, or it may be general sin, but it's deliberate. Now I don't think when it says there no longer remains any sacrifice for sin, I don't think there is nothing that covers this sin. This is almost a direct quote of verse 18. There where there is a positive verse, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. He says the same phrase. No longer any offering for sin. There's no longer any offering for sin. The things have changed. There is no offering you can give. You cannot go back to the law. You cannot go back to the temple. You can't get a priest with a funny hat to offer a sacrifice for you. I don't care how dearly you do it. I don't care how heart-wrenched you are. I don't care how many sackcloth and ashes you roll around in or how pure the lamb is. There isn't a sacrifice you can offer for sin. There has been one. It took care of it. 
Back at verse 10, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. One time in history for everybody. There isn't, if you sin deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth, you have to be aware there isn't any other place you could go. You have violated the imperative of God without a place to go except for a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. And now, like I said, the only, this is one of the passages, Hebrews 10, this part of Hebrews, various places you can go, where the old debate between Christians, because we can fight about anything, can you lose your salvation? We're not answering that. We're not talking about that. Do with it whatever you want. But you've got to take the words as they sit on the page. There is a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire. You say, I'm a little confused. What Weren't we getting liberated from that whole mosaic, draconian, you know, um, eye for eye, tooth for tooth type of judgment? Huh? Look what he does with it. A man who has violated the law of Moses dies with, ooh, dies, that's a harsh word, dies without mercy at the testimony of two or three witnesses. And you almost expect the loving arms of the good shepherd to open up for you and say, but come to me, my little Baalam, and I will give you rest. Well, you know, there's aspects of the Lord's message that sound that way, and you want to put that here, perhaps, because Moses, that awful, 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 overly religious individual, you could be put to death on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Your eye shall not pity. Your eye shall not pity. You have to cut their hand off. You cut their head off. You've got to do something. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, after this knowledge of the truth, the key thing is the knowledge of the truth. That is that new covenant. If you take up sin deliberately, after you receive the greatness that is the new covenant, what do you think is going to happen? Under the old covenant, they just cut your head off. What does he say next? How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the man who has spurned the Son of God? And that's what you've done. We're not just being tempted on by the glory that is the new covenant. We're being warned. Because when you lift something up higher, you're not just putting caramel sauce on your Sunday. You're not just saying this is this is a better religious experience and it's all for the good. Well when you see the covenant of God and the death of Christ and the forgiveness of sins and heavenly life eternal and all the rest it can be, it's natural to think it's all good but he warns you that it was bad punishment under Moses and it's worse because this is greater if you've spurned the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, 
and outraged the spirit of grace. Think of that. Spurned Jesus Christ, profaned the blood that he shed, and outraged the spirit. Outraged. There's an old classical theism doctrine called impassibility. God does not have any reactions. Except this one, at least. He gets outraged at what you did. Do you think you can hear the knowledge of the truth? Now you say, I I didn't know, Pastor. Honest, I didn't know. I just thought it was a walk-the-aisle moment, believe in Jesus. We casually preached the New Covenant. We casually believed in the New Covenant. And then we wonder why we don't have strong enough rules to keep our kids from wandering from the faith because we still think we're Old Covenant people. If we'd stop and look at the New Covenant and realize the glory of Jesus Christ, what you have is a confidence to enter the sanctuary through the open curtain with the high priest Jesus Christ and that is asking you to draw near that is asking you to hold fast that is asking you to consider that these things could happen in your life these good things could happen but once you step into the glory of a greater thing the blasphemy is greater a lot of Christians have said like you know I, I know I've sinned since I became a Christian does that mean I'm, you know, some people have more, you might say, emotional responses like, like that, more melancholy and say, uh-oh, I'm doomed. I think William Cooper, who wrote one of the hymns we sang this morning, thought he was damned eternally. And he was kind of depressed. <laughs> wrote great hymns. I'm not encouraging you to feel this, I'm encouraging you to acknowledge this. He's just telling you, if you sin deliberately, after coming to a knowledge of the truth, realize there's no old covenant for you to go to. You can't go pick up second tier true religion. The minor leagues of religion. I'm going to go back and be a Jew. Now, Judaism doesn't exist anymore. There is no temple. There is no sacrifice. It never worked anyway. Do you think, once you know what this truth is, think about that for a moment. How deliberate changes its meaning. Uh, We have a natural point of excuse. I didn't know. I didn't know it was that important. What if you did? You're, say you're seven, and you're running down the hall, giggling like a banshee, having a great time. Your mother pulls you up short and says, don't you realize this is Buckingham Palace? I didn't know mom. I didn't know the queen lived here. Suddenly, once you begin to realize the queen does live here, it is Buckingham Palace, and you were acting like an idiot. The greater the circumstance that you become aware of, the more pronounced the guilt of the word deliberate. 
because it really is not accidentally spurning the Son of God. It is not profaning the blood of the covenant accidentally or outraging the spirit of grace. It's deliberate. After you have the knowledge of the truth. And not the kind that's printed on the back of a program or in the book of church order that you were given after you joined your church. It's not some catechism, not some confession that only the professionals memorize. Did you come to a knowledge of it? So if that's the case, Evan, I don't want to come to a knowledge of it. Let's just go play religion the way all Christians normally play it. Well, do you want to have victory in your life or not? Do you want to have that natural encouragement, love, gathering together, good works? Do you want to have that? Because that's what trickles down from you knowing the covenant in which you are. If I don't consider it, if I don't draw near to it, God might have been gracious to you, I don't know. But you're going to have a hard time being confident that he was. It's not so much that you lost your salvation. I'm wondering how you could be confident that you had it. Because you believed in the contents of it, but when they opened up this doorway to you in Christ, you didn't go, oh yeah, let us follow Jesus. Let us go in. Let us seek this out. I mean, I've got a whole bunch of other things to seek out, but not this. The blasphemy is greater. We sometimes don't want to know because we like the excuse-making possibilities. We spend more time figuring out how to justify our sin than stopping it. Stopping the life of sin is in drawing close to Jesus Christ. You begin to understand the word deliberate. You understand the word profane, spurn, outrage. When you know what the new covenant is, and you're overwhelmed by its greatness. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is laying on your plate. Look at the new covenant. What a wonderful thing it will produce in you. But if, after knowing this, you sin. Now, you say, Evan, what do you do with the loss of salvation? Well, it doesn't talk about loss of salvation. It just tells you, you're in for a world of hurt. I don't care what you want to think of it as. I don't want to care, care if you want to think of it, well, I think I'm just going to be punished, or I think I'm going to lose my salvation. Whatever your emotions are, d- deal with that. We all have to sit here before this and say, this is after you were sanctified, after you came to a knowledge of it, and you sinned deliberately in some sort of way that was an outrage to God. And he wants you to remember that it is a fearful thing to fall into his hands. And it says the Lord will judge his people. It's not the unbelievers. They will be judged. But this is for judging his people. Do what you want with that. But don't take away, because what's that, what is that doing for you? It is keeping it from being just free money from the feds. 
You like it when somebody offers you free money. We talk about the free gift of grace, yeah. You're going to pay for your sins if you don't get given grace. You don't get given grace whether you want it or not. If you profane it, if you spurn it, if you outrage it, they are feeling spurned and outraged. And there's a big, big, big agent to feel the punishment from his outrage. Now it's not merely because we're trying to avoid you know, the, 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 the carrot and the stick. There's the stick in the argument. Says, don't do this, man. You're in trouble if you do. And this is the carrot. This is the good thing. Those things are... We also know that Christians are... The same great new covenant is a way that we get through, you might say, stick moments where we are hurt differently than being hurt by the judgment of God. The next the next uh, paragraph, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened. This is so much like verse 26, if we sin deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth. But he says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. One of them is, you outrage God and you will suffer after you came to a knowledge of the truth. Here you were enlightened and you ended up suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion upon the prisoners, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You treated the new covenant of promise to you like it deserves to be treated. Both people suffered, one at the hand of God, one at the hand of the ungodly. You can walk through one, you won't come out of the other one walking. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. He's letting you know that it's not just merely we don't like suffering, well, nobody does, but what are you suffering for? Have you meditated, considered, drawn near to the throne of grace and understood with the throne of grace how much greater it was than the old covenant. Well, how much more powerful in righteousness it is. You are, sin shall have no dominion over you, for you're not under law, you're under grace. That grace is not just God looking the other way. This is the blood of Jesus Christ. One sacrifice for all. And once you draw near to that, once you consider that, once you hold that fast, your life starts to turn out like a Christian's. And if you turn your back on him, prepare yourself. I don't think, I'm not a person who believes you can lose your salvation. But I do believe God can hurt you. Don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that you may do the will of God and receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one shall come and shall not tarry. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. It's out of Habakkuk. Look at the two things that you're being asked to do. This whole new covenant is hanging out there in front of you. Are you going to lean into it? It says, let us draw near. 
and basically let us not shrink back. There are things that happen to you when you draw near to the new covenant. Success in righteousness is one of them. Perhaps persecution is the other one. But shrinking back, you don't get righteousness, and God decides that he's going to beat you up. You will be judged. It is a terrible thing to fall into his hands. Do not shrink back. My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and keep their souls. We're believers here. I'm grateful for the writer of Hebrews. He always gets even these difficult passages back in early in the book. He's, you know, as I have more confidence regarding you. He says, we're not of those people. We are people of the new covenant. We are here because we have not desired to forsake the assembling together. But I want you to know that the struggles you have, answer them in your pursuit of Christ and his covenant. What it is in Christ that we have. That's what we're to draw near to. That's what we're to hold on to. That's what we're to consider. And the Christian life that he wants of us will be produced. But it's a dangerous holy ground that we walk on. Consequently, we'll actually have more, you might say, of a right attitude about deliberate sin. Because you'll know what profanation it, uh, it entails. But we're not of those who shrink back. We don't, you shouldn't ever think that Christianity that has that simple grace, the death of Christ aspect to it, doesn't have enough power to make you holy unless you go back to the law. If you're that kind of person, well, you'll get the karma coming to you. It doesn't work. It's not there for you. God will punish. But those who have faith and keep their souls, we have to have that faith. We're not of those who shrink back only if we are of those who have this faith. Attend to the new covenant. Attend to it hard. Stand with it very closely. Defend it against all comers. There's a lot of people in the church who are going to heaven, but they live their lives by the old covenant. This is something that is sacred and bigger. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You've been better to us than we deserve. Help us understand the grandness of your plan for our salvation. The cost, the majesty, the victory, and the effect in our lives as we stand close to it. We'd ask that the saints here would daily stand closer to you through your Son, and that we would be able to see the victory in the Christian life over sin, that we'd not be inclined to pursue either sin or the flesh in the law of righteousness. We'd ask that you make us good and holy people. In your son's name, amen.